welcome to Liquid Liner Notes, a podcast that brings you interviews from the beverage and music industries. I'm your host, Danny, aka Hip Hops on Instagram. For this week's episode, I have the co-founder of Right Be Cider, Chicago's first cidery, Charlie Davis. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's start out with where you started with craft brewing or craft beverage making. Sure. So I'll take you down the, uh, the rabbit hole here. Um, when I first, uh, well, my dad was always into, um, good beer. He always had, um, craft, craft beer and, and, um, imported beer from Germany in the fridge growing up. So, uh, you know, as I came to the age where I could enjoy, um, beer, I always had an interest in, um, in craft beer and, and imported beer. That's, um, I feel like that's pretty abnormal for like dads to have like that cool stash. Well, it, it was. My dad actually has a pretty cool store too. He was a the controller. He was an accountant for. Um, um, oh my god, um, a billiards company. Huh. Um, I'm Brunswick or something. Brunswick. Yeah, yeah thank that's you. like the only one Jeez. I can think of. Yeah, no, that's the only one <laughs> yeah. that you need to know. Uh, so Brun- for Brunswick, him and my mom lived in Frankfurt, Germany for uh-huh. a few years. And he was the controller for Brunswick for Europe, Asia, and Africa. Wow. So while he was in Germany, he uh, grew an affinity for German beers. So he came back to the United States and was like, there's nothing that even compares. Yeah. And the the imports at that time didn't necessarily like travel well. So he got into craft beer. So I remember having Sierra Nevada in the fridge growing up. Um, and you know, at that time that was the, the craft beer, the craft beer. Yeah. yeah. So, well, you know, when I turned 21, I tried (laughs) Sierra Nevada and, you know, I thought it was kind of gross at first, you know, it's hoppy and I I have a funny, uh, so my, first craft beer it was also a Sierra Nevada it was like a wet hopped southern hemisphere beer and I didn't know anything about beer at the time this is probably like 2010 2011 and um, I had made spaghetti with red sauce turns out that the acidity from the red sauce <laughs> and the hops like the uber like wet hopped beer not a good mix and I was yeah. kind of like this is gross <laughs> yeah yeah I I wasn't on that level where I was pairing beer with food at that point, (laughs) but I can imagine that. Um, but anyway, I got my, um, I got my chops from my dad. Um, and I, you know, I, there, there were a number of different career paths that I could have taken after college, but I, I was lucky enough to be just caddying at a golf course and, one of the one of the people that I caddied for was a brand manager, um, head of the marketing department for Pass Brewing Company. So I got an internship. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry, I've been no, you're good. fighting something for a while. Um, I got an internship at Pabst Brewing Company right out of college, and there I was just doing data mining and I was putting together sales presentations for their marketing and sales department. Was your degree like business oriented? More or less. Yeah. I was, uh, I got a business minor 
and I was in a journalism major. So, oh. but my concentration was advertising. So, I was in my mind set up for marketing and in 2008 or 2000 or 2009 when I graduated no one was spending money on advertising or (laughs) marketing because the great recession yeah Yeah. the economy was just in the the toilet so um, so I started there and I worked there for about eight months and my contract was not extended because they sold the business so I had to kind of go back to the drawing board. Yeah. And I was thinking, I'm going to start my own brewery. No problem. And I went to put pen to paper and realized I had no idea how to start a brewery. Yeah. I mean, were you homebrewing at least at that time? Cause I was, okay. yeah. I, w- I had a friend and we would, we would homebrew and I got all this fancy homebrewing equipment and I was like, you know. But then when it came to like actually like you know, your business plan, 20, I forget how old I was, you know, you're 23, 24 years old. I'm like, Oh, like you have to figure out lease agreements and equipment and the licensing for yeah. doing, you know, excise taxes and, you know, all this stuff. And I just realized I had no idea what I was doing. So to me, in my head, the best idea was to just start working in the brewing industry yeah. and work your way up and f- learn it by doing it, and that's what I did. So, uh, did you always have like that um, entrepreneurial streak? I think I did. I don't know if it's genetic, but if it is, it's you know my my grandpa started his own business in the '60s, and he was a uh, he started a container distribution container distribution company container distributing company yeah and um my mom and her two sisters ran that business as i was growing up and my sister and my cousin still run that business called the house of cans the house of cans there's a plug for the house of cans (laughs) um and they basically get in big shipments of like containers soup cans paint Uh cans buckets whatever you're container needs are yeah. they get truckloads of these containers in and then they package them into smaller boxes and sell them to people like you and me nice. say you wanted to take your acidic uh, spaghetti sauce <laughs> and package it well you need a tomato can yeah house of cans can help you with that <laughs> that's good um so after you left papson and you were gonna sort of like find out what the brewing world was like internally yeah. where did that lead so I, I got a, uh, I took a crash course at Siebel Institute. I, I did the, um, the um, concise course at Siebel. It's like a two-week crash course in brewing. And it makes you feel like you know everything about brewing yeah. until you actually go to brew and yeah. realize you know nothing about brewing. Um, I got, because I had that on my resume and the past brewing experience, I got my foot in the door at a very small um, uh, brew pub in Northwest Indiana called Crown Brewing. And I started out just working taproom shifts there as well as being an assistant brewer. Yeah. And that was, <clears throat> that was challenging because I was still living in Chicago. All my friends were in Chicago. My family's in Chicago. And this is about an hour away. Mm-hmm in Indiana 
and I was required to work taproom shifts, but I was also expected to be an assistant brewer. And the brewer liked to start at like five or six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So he could get home to his, you know, pick his kid yeah. up from daycare or whatever. And so I had to, what I did was I asked the owner if I could possibly stay overnight yeah. at the brewery. Yeah. And I actually got myself an air mattress and Filled it up in the office. Were you able to expense that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no there was <laughs> there was no such thing. Um, I filled this air mattress up in the office. I would work the the tap room shift at night, um, and then I would wake up in the morning. I at I will tell you um, that I would like like splash some like hose myself up yeah. like basically like splash water on my face in the the brewery in the morning and then when he got there i was ready to brew yeah. uh, because i had slept there and it was all because this is what i wanted to do and this is what i wanted to learn so yeah. i mean I, that would have been easy to be like this isn't for me but yeah but i mean when you're like now okay i'm 37 now when yeah. you're 23 you're like whatever yeah. i'll sleep on an air mattress in an office like, yeah you know, I, it was fun, you know, yeah. and I had fun doing it. It looking back, it's crazy. But like at the time I was like, so exciting. You know, yeah. I was, I was working in a brewery and, um, moving the needle for this small company. And I really, I loved it, you yeah. know? And I, sometimes I still do love my job, but at the time it was just enthralling, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, as, that that was kind of as the craft beer bubble was starting to to fill up, you yeah. know. And so there was a brewery in Chicago that had just opened. And I read an article, I think, in the Red Eye or some you know some local rag in Chicago. It's called Finch's Beer Company, and there was this guy who had started his um, started a company. A marketing company so there was a marketing connect there yeah. um and he he had done a bunch of work for like mtv and all this stuff he was like really well connected and his name was ben finch and he was starting finch's beer company so i was like well there you go like i'm gonna i'm gonna work there yeah and i had interviewed at haymarket was opening at the time metropolitan had offered me like an internship and well, I really, I have a ton of respect for those breweries and I think they do a great job um, or did a great job. I, I was offered a shift brewer position at, at a brewery in Chicago and I was like, let's go, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so like my, I, you know, I started as an assistant brewer, worked in the tap room at Crown and then I was offered this shift brewing position where I could really kind of learn the ins and outs in a ground level position. Like I was the, like the second hire at this business. So I was like, great, let's go. And you get to sleep in your own bed. I get to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> I actually got, you know, I got a place with a few of my buddies and I was living the life. I mean, man, Chicago in your early twenties, yeah. is there like a better city in the world? No, 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 there's not. <laughs> the answer is no, there is not. Um, so I, I was having a blast, you know, I was working at a brewery. It was, 
it was almost like at that time breweries were like up and coming. It was it was like rock star status, yeah. you know, with my friends and you know, it was it was fantastic. I got all the low fill beers, I got to bring them to parties, tell people got to talk about what I did without people's eyes glazing over. It was it was awesome. Yeah. Um and so I learned a lot there. I learned a lot of what I should do. I also learned a lot of what not to do yeah. while I worked there. Um, you know, they've since gone out of business. They became, Finches became relatively infamous, but the talent that went through that business was immense. A lot of my friends have started their own breweries. Um, I have friends who are like, have gone on to work at Lagunitas and Budweiser and are now in like biotech and stuff like that. It's just like really smart, fun people that I got to work with there and that's really cool. Loved it. I feel like you you hear a lot about the like brewing tree from Goose Island and so it's like it's cool to hear a story of other like another brewing tree that's maybe not as celebrated or well known. I don't think it is as celebrated, but I swear I got uh, I got calls from the head brewer at Lagunitas because people from Finches would go to work at Lagunitas and she would say I don't know what went on at Finch's, but every employee that has come to Lagunitas has been like the best employee that I, that I managed because everybody that worked there just wanted it so badly. Yeah. It just, it just didn't work out. I mean, it just was, I would say mismanaged, but yeah. Um, were you working on like recipe development and stuff there too? Or were you kind of just like, I was, I was, um, my, so that was where I won my first, award for brewing mm. at Finch's. I won a silver medal at the Festival of Barrel Age Beers in 2000, uh, it was probably 2010 or yeah. 2011 for my Barrel Age Doppelbach. So that was cool. Yeah. And then it's I- very prestigious for like Fobab, for those who aren't from Chicago, but I mean, it's, I feel like it's like nationally known now. Now, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and even at the time I was like, I mean, I was like, I just hit a home run and I've never really done that in my life. Like I, I like to consider myself pretty like average, which I think is a great thing yeah. on all fronts, like yeah. average appearance, average grades, average, everything. Yeah. But like I won this crazy medal at this thing and I, it, it felt good, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I then developed, um, a recipe, and this was, I think, too far ahead of its time, for a chocolate milk stout. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, two years ago, everybody was making these milk stouts and these, like, crazy hazy things and these yeah. dessert beers. Yeah. I did that 14 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I can, yeah, I remember... Like the first one I even like really have like a recollection of is the four hands one that had the cow on the label. Yeah, I mean, 100%. That, was, that was probably like 2015. Yeah, so that exactly. So that that period of time there was like dragon's milk, there was four hands milk stout, and so I was like, I want to do something similar. Let's add vanilla bean. Mind blowing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it did well. Like it it won awards and it was it was it was a good beer and. I still have like built relationships with people in the industry because they remember that beer. 
Um, what was the name of it? It was called the Secret Stash Stout. Secret Stash Stout. Yeah. So if you look at my face right now, yeah. I have a bit of a beard. But what you don't realize is that there's a mustache here. Yeah. And every <laughs> once in a while, the beard goes away. And people are like, did you just grow that mustache overnight? That's the secret stash. <laughs> I will say, so a um, little nugget for if you ever visit the tap room here. Uh, the picture of you in the bathroom <laughs> is pretty epic. <laughs> yeah. That's full yeah. beard, but that's, I just, yeah, pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, take a, take a seat, contemplate your life, and stare at me while you take a dump yeah. um, at Right Beesider. That's a plug for my own business. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really good experience. And then um, at the same time, so I had, I had a lot of marketing experience. So the, the owner of Finch's was like, figure out how to present this brand. We need to, we need to sell more beer. Um, and so figure it out. I was like, okay. So I put together marketing presentations because that's my background yeah. and like really nice gift boxes for distributors all over the country. And I sold the brand into 10 different distributors nationwide. And I think kind of popped the guy's eyeballs out of his head. He was like, oh my God. Yeah, I can actually remember, I don't even know I don't remember if it was in Florida, which is my hometown area, but I was somewhere and I saw Finches and I was like, what the hell? Like Finches is down here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember where I was. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> I think. But <laughs> so I did that and I was traveling around and I was, I was traveling. I went to Atlanta. I went to Columbus, Ohio and all over the country to these different distributors to, to present and sell this product that, cause these distributors are just gobbling up. Yeah. Um, craft breweries they didn't know what was going to be the next big thing yeah. and um, so yeah along my travels I cl- traveled to Columbus Ohio beautiful Columbus Ohio and I met these guys that were starting a brewery there and you know at that time like we, they, we were having production issues at, at Finch's and I was doing my best to, to you know to improve things, but it just didn't seem like, I felt like I was just kind of. And they were like, I feel like they were like moving a lot. Like they were on Montrose where break room was for a while. And then they, I was only, so I was only ever on Elston. It was on Elston between Montrose and Lawrence. There was like this little, it used to be like a machine shop and that's where I did production. And then it it wasn't until that this was from like, I, I mean, it was like, 2010 to 2012 I worked there and um, it wasn't until they moved into break room maybe in 2016 or something like that so they were in business for a while before they moved over there Um, but anyway I was I was at a I was at a beer fest in Columbus and met these guys they were starting this brewery and we just kept in touch and they offered me a position to be a head brewer and develop my own recipes and it was amazing I mean I got to see like that they poured the concrete in the floor like I was there the entire time I brewed beer on my home brewing system in this guy's backyard for like six months before I was able to brew on the equipment you know he took me to uh our our um 
brewing system was was manufactured in Canada. We went to Canada and saw wow. where they made the equipment. I saw like every nut and bolt put in. I helped frame the walls. Yeah. Like it was amazing. I helped uh, with like submitting the licensing for the brewery. I learned everything. It was amazing. And uh, it, that was North High Brewing in Columbus, Ohio. And Tim and Gavin, man, like thank you. I just it was it was. I learned, I can't express yeah. how important that was. I mean, I'm sure it was like super valuable experience for eventually down the road opening your own space. Yeah, I mean, even just the little things like learning, if you're installing equipment, like learning how to talk to contractors and everything like that. Like there was just, I, I can't. Were those guys like primarily like business oriented where they were like investors and they wanted to bring you in to like so realize the dream? One guy, it was a, actually, they're, they're a great, great team and they, they've grown tremendously since I've left and they're, they're doing a great job. Gavin is more uh, marketing and sales. He was a marketing guy for Stanley Steamer mm-hmm. for a while in another Columbus based uh, company. Yeah. We were just talking, we were talking earlier about all these random companies that are based in Columbus, like yeah. Wendy's and limited brands and nationwide insurance, Stanley Steamer. Yeah. Um, and then Tim actually, Honda was, was an engineer for Honda. Huh. And so he was more of like, Tim was more like the engineering guy. Yeah. Gavin was more of the sales guy. So great team. Yeah. And I filled in the gap somewhere in between with, you know, actual brewing experience, but um, just awesome, awesome guys. And, um, yeah, we, so we had a brew on premise concept. So that was a thing for a while. I don't know if you know what that is. Brew on premise. I don't. So you can pick a recipe off a list and come in and brew it yourself. Oh, okay. So I had to, (laughs) I had to come up with 50 different recipes. Yeah. So I brewed, I, I swear to God, I brewed like like probably 300 different beers, extract based and all grain based recipes, and then trained a staff to brew those beers and then had them teach customers how to brew beer when they came in. And I had to have all the ingredients on hand and I had to have all. (laughs) It sounds like a logistic nightmare. It was crazy. It was wild. I'll show you pictures. I had an entire room, probably the size of this tap room, full of like, like 20 gallon, uh, containers just like filled with different customers beer yeah. that they would come in and brew. And then I had to brew the beer for the tap room as well. So I would come in at five or six o'clock in the morning. I'd brew the beer for the tap room. And then starting in the afternoon around noon, like customers would start coming in to brew their beer and my staff would come in and this is different from like a, like a contract brewer. You're not doing that. This is more like buddies getting together to brew a beer or somebody who's a home brewer who wants to like see what upscaling looks yeah, like. Yeah, or people like had a birthday party. Yeah. They're like, let's, let's have a birthday party and brew a beer and eat some pizza and brew some beer. Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, like it mostly fell on the staff to just like do it for them. But right. it was an interesting concept and I think people had fun doing it. And I had friends... Um, one of my good friends, Dan Schmidt, he actually, he was, um, one of the guys I was talking about went through Lagunitas and now, oh, yeah. um, he came out and we brewed a beer together and I had friends come from, you know, Chicago and 
we we brewed together. It was it was fun. Yeah. Um, but now they they have. So that was another thing. I'm sorry. I'm. No, you're good. Yeah. Um, while I was there, we were looking at a production facility to start scaling up, and that was another invaluable experience. Like, I helped negotiate um, the equipment and figure out what space would work well. And you know, we found an old auto body shop. Great amount of high ceilings, uh, drainage. They already had trench drains in the place. Um, adequate water, electric, everything, and so I kind of after that, I realized like I, I had all the tools to start, you know, yeah. start a business. Um, meanwhile, during all this, I met this beautiful, amazing, lovely woman named Katie Morgan, yeah, um, who is now my wife. Um, and Katie, Charlie's doing great so far. Yes. So enough about me. Let's talk about Katie. Um, and when I met her, I realized that she didn't drink beer. She drank cider. So I'm, you know, I'm like, like I said, rock star status. I'm yeah. in Chicago. I'm bringing beer to all these places, and she's not drinking. I'm like, what's up with this chick? Turns out she drinks cider. So I made her. Our birthdays are really close together. Actually, next week. Oh. Um, Happy early birthday. Oh, thank you. I was waiting for it. Um, <laughs> and so I made her a cider for her birthday, our birthday party that we had together. And she liked it. She was afraid that she was going to have to pretend to like it. She shows everything on her face. Yeah. Uh, but she liked it, and she felt obligated to start dating me after that. <laughs> and then we started dating, got engaged very irresponsibly soon after that I mean like eight months after we were friends for a little bit before yeah. that but like eight months after we started dating um, engaged and then she moved to Columbus we were there for a while and she came up with this idea she's like instead of a brewery why don't we start a cidery like we could call it right B cider it sounds like right beside her yeah it's the same cider you made for me when we first met and you know, at first I didn't get the pun, but she, yeah. you know, hammered it in the thick skull of mine. And, um, yeah, we planned a wedding. We got married and started this business all in the same year in 2014. We moved back to Columbus, back from Columbus to Chicago, got married and started a business all in the same year. Yeah. And, um, I feel like you're, you got, you're being a little humble, but you <clears throat> made that cider that she enjoyed because you were listening extensively from, from what I've like read and listened to you, you were, you were doing your homework. Thank prior you. To... Yeah. Thank you for giving me more credit <laughs> than, than I deserve, but, yeah, no. um, and, uh, you guys were Chicago's first. Yes. Chicago's first cidery, um, family owned, woman owned, um, cidery. And we, yeah, we make everything here on the west side of Chicago in the old Schwinn Bike Manufacturing Building in Hermosa. Hermosa. And um, you guys, uh, to start out, you, I mean, you, you're coming from Columbus. You decided to move back to Chicago. Um, yeah, what was starting out like? Was it uh, seeking bank loans or were you kind of... Yeah, I mean, it, it was... Th thank you for asking that because it was a true struggle. I mean, I was a brewer and Katie was a nurse and like I said like the cost of living in Columbus is not high we were squirreling money away but um 
basically just used what we had and did what we could. It was me and Katie, and we scraped our money together. We had some help from family. We bought a tank. We bought a little yellow pickup truck on Craigslist, and that's a whole nother story for another time that Katie can tell you. Um, and we we had a shared warehouse space, and we started in, in Lincolnwood, uh, just north of Chicago. And in the basically a broom closet at the House of Cans, which is, you know, bringing it all back to House, yeah. House of Cans. So they're they're located here. Yeah, they're in Lincolnwood. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so if you, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, you need those tomatoes. My, my wife's office uh, was in Lincoln, where it's moved since, but like that area, there's a lot of like businesses like tucked back in there. Yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> it's, <yeah. laughs> uh, Glenn's, uh, Glenn's Distributing is in Lincolnwood. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we, we basically started in essentially the back room. There was no, heat it, there was no like heat or air conditioning in this place we had our we had a tank we didn't have glycol jacketed tanks we had a, yeah. a unjacketed tank in a cooler that was in an old storage shed in the alley and we would ferment this stuff in ibc totes those plastic totes yeah. using space heaters for temperature control yeah and then transfer through a brick wall in a hole in a brick wall into a tank in a cooler in an alley, which in the summer, yeah. great, working in a cooler, fantastic. In the winter, horrible. Like <laughs> frostbite on my feet, like just awful. That is um, awful. And yeah, for those who don't have a ton of experience, I've never brewed, but temperature control is a, a hugely important part of it. Uh, yeah, it's like the most important part. Yeah. You have to maintain the temperature so that your yeast has a healthy fermentation. The whole goal of brewing, or I guess fermentation in general, is keeping yeast happy. And if the yeast is not happy, it's very bad for everyone. Tastes bad, smells bad, it's bad for the producer, it's bad for the customer. Gotta keep the yeast happy. Yeah, and the the yellow pickup truck, was it just like by serendipitous nature that it was yellow okay it's like perfect for no, you no there was some intention behind yeah. it we we found it and we were like we have to have this, this. is the one and that's that's part of why the story is so ridiculous because we set our minds to the fact that we needed this one pickup truck in streeter illinois which oh. i don't even know i think it's two hours away i don't know we drove out to streeter had to spend like the entire day in this old man's house waiting for his son or nephew or something like that to come with the paperwork so that we can buy this truck from him. It was, we were pretty sure that we were going to get murdered or <laughs> sold into some sort of weird, like, human trafficking. Human trafficking. Right? Yeah, it's like the beginning of a horror movie. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, at one point, his neighbor came over. I swear to, I swear to God, his neighbor came over and he was wearing an eye patch and had a gun on his hip and was like just chain smoking cigarettes and we were just like we gotta get out of here like we're going to die i mean you never know when you're, when you're gonna have to protect yourself in the middle of nowhere i mean it was amazing but now we have that story to tell yeah and had a yellow pickup truck for a while yeah um but anyway yeah we, we were kegging this stuff off in this cooler 
loading it into the pickup truck and driving it around the city. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, and you guys, um, I know that you are very proud that you're, you're independent, family-owned, uh, very DIY uh, for for what you're what you're doing. And I to a fault sometimes. I would <laughs> say. I uh, I met your wife the first time I had your guys cider. With my my wife and I were in a street festival in Lincoln, um, not Lincoln Park, Lincoln Lincoln Square, Lincoln Square, Apple Fest. Yeah, and I don't yeah. I don't remember if it was Apple Fest. I just remember that um, it was along the softball fields there, like south of actual proper Lincoln Square, like where the shopping district is. And and I remember your wife had. Um, She's here now, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Your wife uh, was had just like hello, <laughs> uh, had um, the just like plastic cups, and she was. I remember you you were letting us sample the cider, my wife and I, and you were very into it and proud of what you were doing. And I, I think that like your now that you're here, I can like say it to your face. But I feel like your demeanor and everything was very positive and like just refreshing. Um, sorry, I only have the two mics. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just saying, I, I met you at a, a Lincoln Square festival, on, and it might have been 2015. Like, it was, like, super early on when you guys were starting out. Nice. Yeah. We were well, very tired at that point. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, and thank you for letting me barge in on this podcast. Yeah, it's all good. Um, and so now, after, after you were uh, doing this in the back room, at the what's the name of the company again cans yeah house of cans house of cans yeah you Um, we yeah so we after like a year like maybe two years working there we we proved a business model we turned a profit and we got some friend friends family and fools three f's yeah to invest in us and um we found this space on the west side of chicago in the old twin bike manufacturing building and moved in um it that's like a breeze over of how that actually happened i mean yeah and hermosa so you was it just like you guys had a realtor they were taking you around different spots and you were like this building's going to be perfect for what we're trying to do yeah, well yeah we i was i was driving around the city like looking at the trendy areas i think we called on a place where like oh man this place looks perfect it was at like north and Clybourne, wow. and they were like uh it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be sixty thousand dollars a month to rent this place and we're like did you say six thousand dollars a month <laughs> sounds good and they're like no sixty thousand dollars a month like nope yeah. so i'm going around with the realtor from place to place and we just hop on we hop on Belmont and we just keep driving west and west and west and west and I'm like where are we going and finally we land in this spot and there were like literally like raccoon footprints on the ceiling and stuff it was it was just in disarray it had been abandoned for like 10 years before we moved in here was there still cool like bike stuff around at all or no. was it empty no there was nothing cool about it yeah. i mean it was it was the old this where we manufactured was the old cafeteria so uh-huh. there was like cool tile and some you know some cool you know it was it was like a time machine yeah. you know and if you go on the other side of the building there's still like shag carpeting and like the intercom system and wood paneling on the walls and like 
um, ashtrays in the bathroom because you got <laughs> to smoke yeah. while you're taking a dump. You know, <laughs> um, it was it's it's crazy. The building was a time machine, and so we moved in. We cleaned everything up. We got rid of the raccoon. Katie's Katie's looking at me sideways because I'm talking about the raccoons. But we got rid of most of the raccoons, and um, now we have a, a cozy little tap room over here. <laughs> a cozy little tap room that. I mentioned earlier your DIY nature, but you guys made a lot of this stuff yourself. Yeah, I mean, Charlie did. I had nothing to do with that aspect. Of yeah, yeah. I mean, we obviously like had to have a, an architect and a contractor come in and do the work per city code. But yeah, yeah. The the tables and the you know the the chalkboard behind the bar and the shelf over there, and then. Um, there. Oh, the, these chairs were a fun story. I picked these up in my pickup truck from somewhere in Indiana. Mm. Got them off uh, Facebook Marketplace from an old pool hall. Nice. They still smelled like cigarettes when <laughs> we got them back here. You just have after to, like, air them out, like let them sit Well, outside. even yeah, even after airing them out for you know two hour drive back, three hour drive back from Indiana, they still smelled like cigarettes. Um, but yeah, they're, it's just, yeah, we just kind of, like I said, every step of the way, just using what we have and doing what we can. And you guys have beautiful tap handles that, from my understanding, you guys also make. Yes. I'm going to use the restroom. Yeah. Katie's going yeah. to. Yeah. Am I taking over? Yeah. I'm taking over. For, for now. <laughs> okay. I can't. You can't. <clears throat> okay. Um, yes, our tap handles are, we still hand make them exactly the same way we did um, from day one. And it's because... I met with a great company uh, to create them for us. I had all these grand plans for a 3DB and some, you know, this cool design. And then they told me the price per unit and I said, never mind, thank you very much. And we actually just got a handrail from Lowe's and spray painted it. And I tried for the life of me to paint straight lines and I could not paint straight lines. And I was so cold and tired. And I looked up and saw electrical tape and I was like, that'll do. Yeah. I'll, I'll use it. And there's a, some letter stickers from Michael's and a B sticker from Michael's as well. And then put a nice seal on it. And that was that. So a lot of these things um, were just out of necessity. We, we needed things quickly. You don't have a long lead time. You know, like, oh, in six months, you're going to need this. It's like, you need it now. You need it yesterday. Yeah. So you just have to use what you have and make it happen. And the answer from us was always yes. And then we figured out how to do it after. Yeah. And you guys started just the two of you doing basically everything and have yes. since um, you've built a team. Last time I was in here, there was several people from the team. But I was just curious how large the team is and like sort of like when you were able to start expanding like that and being able to have the privilege. And I'm sure it's like prideful that you're able to like hire people from the city. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's wild to have a team. We have a team of six and uh, some additional part-time bartenders and it feels gigantic because just coming from the two of us initially it was kind of crazy to kind of let somebody in we, we were thrilled to have the help and we desperately needed the help yeah. but um, it's obviously very personal to us and you know it's a story it's uh, it's it's like our child yeah and so. is that like sales team I guess 
Do you have a sales team that goes around, or do you guys have a distributor that kind of handles that? Well, we kind of both. Our first hires were production-focused because that's where, where we needed the most help. Charlie has extensive experience in the industry. When I came in, I did not. Yeah. My background is in cardiac nursing, which does not help at all yeah. in production. Yeah. So I did the sales aspect. So our first hires were production help, and then after that we were able to bring on more salespeople to help. But for the majority of it, it in the beginning at least, it was me. Yeah. Just basically going door to door. And do you remember what year was it that you guys moved into this building? 2016. And did you guys have the tap room the entire time? Like no, from the beginning? no. The tap room opened late 2019, okay. which is the worst time to open anything yeah. ever. But obviously yeah. we didn't know that the end of days was coming and yeah. <laughs> everything was going to be closing. But um, so it took a little took a little hit there, but then we're able to bounce back. Yeah. yeah. My son was born in October 2019, so I have like a direct like frame of reference. Our of se- my daughter, our daughter, yeah. <laughs> was born April 2020. Oh, wow. So, so like that was wild. Right after the shutdown. Like it was like mid-March it when was everything like shut down. It was like right at the beginning of that. They, they came, were like, oh, you're in labor. I said, great. I said, oh, and your business is closed. Great. So it was like peak stress level reached in brain. Yeah. It was so... I think I honestly think I, my brain just shut off stress-wise. We didn't even know if Charlie was going to be let in the hospital yeah. at that time, which it was the second baby. It wouldn't have been that big of a deal. He didn't do much anyway. But, <laughs> then, but it was just a really, really stressful time for everyone, and especially everyone was affected by it. Obviously, we all lived through it, but it affected this industry in a very unique way. Yeah, and when you guys first started, um, in terms of how many – different ciders and options you guys had is it was it just like the one yeah the one dry cider semi-dry semi-dry yeah and um that came from charlie he had been involved in many businesses prior to that and it was just so challenging to make eight different flavors in eight different packages and it became a really um a struggle from a production standpoint so he said, when we start our business, we're doing one flavor, we're doing it really well, and we're doing it in one package, and then we'll move up from there. So for many years, it was just semi-dry in a half barrel. And Yeah, just that a half barrel. It. So it was only like draft exclusive. Um, yep. And that would have been, yeah, 2014. And then do you have a reference point of when you started packaging? Like, uh, for I want to say it was late 2015, but honestly, it's kind yeah, of, kind of no. a blur. You, you just, you have to. Yeah. You can't expand or grow as a business and until somebody can pick it up in a jewel and a binnies and a whole foods anywhere yeah. that offers package so we we just had to and at the time purchasing a bottling line was much less expensive than purchasing a canning line so our initial package was six pack bottles yeah and I, I forgot to count over there but like what year round like how many types are there now because there's like the dry yeah so semi dry rose muzzle of bees yeah that so we have five um core ones that we distribute all the time that are always available so dry semi-dry blossom clementine and rosé are available all year round the muzzle of bees which you're enjoying right now yes um, that would be our at the moment only true limited release so we make that maybe once or twice a year and just kind of until it sells out, which it does really quickly, which is exciting for us. And then in the tap room, there's always three or four rotating ciders that you can only get here. So that would include 
rhubarb, hopped, berry, melon. Also, a lot of our barrel-aged ciders. Those yeah. are only available here. Right now, we have our barrel-aged dry and our barrel-aged clementine. Oh. On dry. Yeah, I um, I came in. I was telling Charlie I came in like early December. Uh, it was my first time visiting the tap room, but um, the melon was very delicious. I know. So. That one surprises a lot of people because yeah. I think they think, oh, well, I'm not a huge honeydew or cantaloupe fan, but don't let that sway you. The melon is amazing. Yeah. And um, so for your distribution footprint now, yeah. you guys are with the distributor? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we do that. We distribute in Illinois and actually Japan, which yeah. makes no sense. But it's has Charlie talked about that yet? No. Um, I was... I. I was going, that's my, my next bullet point actually yeah. is the awards on the wall over there from Japan. Yeah, and, that was amazing. Uh, and I know you guys, did you guys just recently visit Japan? We did. So how it all came about is that CiderCon, the American Cider Association, puts on a conference every year about all things cider, everything from orchard management to sales and anything in between. So uh, it's in Chicago every other year, which is wonderful for yeah. us it's so cool to welcome people people come from all over the world yeah. which is really exciting so we had a number of tours in here um, those we do tours all the time but those specific tours were mainly people in the industry so it was very cool to welcome them here yeah. and we are the first cidery in Chicago since prohibition so that was something really exciting to share as well so I met this awesome guy named Lee Reeve and he walked in came up to me after the tour and said, hi, I write for a bilingual cider magazine called Insider Japan. And I was like, awesome, let's be friends. And that was a full-on pun, like insider? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, we, as you know, we love yeah. puns around here. I hope Charlie already <laughs> yeah. told you. Then. Okay, good. He did his job. So, um, and I thought that was kind of where the relationship would end. He would write a great feature about us. That was that. And he did. It was so cool. It's in Japanese and English, and we have a copy of it. And it was so exciting. End of story. Yeah. But in during COVID, when everyone is, is pivoting and trying to survive in our industry, I, I just kept in touch with him via Instagram. And I just slid into those DMs and said, I need my cider in Japan. How do we make this happen? Yeah. And I was serious, but, you know, didn't really know when or if it was going to happen and then the ball started rolling and funny enough he had actually started an importing business um, during COVID and he's like let's do this so we went through a number of months of getting our um, flavors and everything approved by the Japanese government next thing you know it's on a boat on its way to Japan we were tracking it <laughs> on the freight website and it was just so wild to wake up to people in Tokyo tagging me on Instagram, drinking my cider in a bar there. It was just like it, mind blowing. And is we, cider a big thing there? It's becoming, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's becoming a big thing, which is very exciting to kind of be involved in that. And they have their own cider country, just like France and Spain and England do. Um, we met a lot of cider makers from there. But we were able to go in April to the first Japan Cider Cup. We were guests, I was on, I did a Q&A, I was up on stage with a microphone. We won a number of awards, including International Best in Show. Nice, congratulations. Delayed you're, you're, you're congratulations. taking a look at the yeah. article right now, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they have, um, yeah, issue number 14. Uh, very cool, the pictures in there are yeah, also it was, great. It was amazing to do that, to be, I never in a million years would have thought we would be distributing internationally, but it's a really exciting opportunity, and now that we've done it in one country, we're exploring other options as well. Uh, that's great. So the, 
we hope to also expand this year multi-state. Yeah. We're currently in Illinois and Japan, but we want to make sure more people at home can enjoy it too. Yeah. And is that CiderCon? I think it, did it just happen in Washington? In Portland. In Portland. Okay. I was, is it kind of bounced from between Portland and Chicago or? It's, it's Chicago every other year and then they kind of choose other locations. So it was in, was in Baltimore one year? It goes West Coast, Chicago, East Coast, Chicago. Yeah. So uh, we were thrilled that it's in Chicago every other year. Yeah. No, I, I, so you should come hang next year. Yeah, Maybe. no, I need, I need to. I know um, I have uh, one of my favorite breweries. My hometown is St. Pete, Florida, and oh, nice. Green Bench is down there, and they do cider also. And, You're um, Florida man? I, I'm, I am the Florida man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they, so they, I'm, they were up here last year, and I, I work in the, like the CNA building downtown, and it was like blocks away from like my office, and I'm like, I wish I could just leave work and go like listen to these events Yeah, you and should stuff come. Like yeah. It's really fun. There's all different kinds. I mean, you name a subject there going over it. Yeah. So it's really cool. And people do come from all over the world, which is really exciting. And um, so what, which one of your styles sells the best? Like, what's your best seller? Dry. Yeah, I think the dry and semi-dry are the most widely distributed. And our ciders are really appealing because the sugar content is very low. Yeah. That makes us a lot different than most ciders and appealing to beer drinkers, spirit drinkers, whatever, wine drinkers. So the dry sells very well. It's very popular. And, but our specialty flavors are as well, like especially the Clementine um, Blossom and Rosé are up there. And Muzzle Abyss, although limited release and isn't as widely distributed, yeah. is definitely a fan favorite. Yeah, it's delicious. Um, are you, do you, um, is that dry cider, is that like a a nod to maybe like a Euro vision of cider versus like the Americans more sweet or what's that? Would you say, cause I've had a lot of like, you know, European or French and they, some of them lean more Brett heavy, which is something I enjoy, but I know yeah. it's different over there than it is. Yeah. I don't claim to be an expert on each specific yeah. country's style. I know that I like them all. I like the funky ones. I, I think the thing that attracted me the most to UK cider, which is where I first experienced it and got involved in the UK Somerset cider culture, um, was that it wasn't super sugary. Yeah. That was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. And I wanted it to be clean and crisp and not super sweet. I'm, I can get down with however funky you want it to be. That wasn't necessarily something we were going for here. We just wanted it to be clean, crisp, not too sweet while also being well balanced. And I think we've achieved that. And I, I wanted to ask more on the home front when you guys are selling to tap handles or to grocery stores, bottle shops, whatever. Have you noticed since you started, I feel like there's like this, like uh, people think that there's like a cider is a cider is a cider. And there is a vast different types of cider. Is it? We couldn't give our cider, like. You want to get in on this yeah, microphone? So yeah, so <laughs> when we first started distributing cider, we had our semi-dry cider. We committed to doing one thing and doing it as good as we possibly could. Yeah. And we sold semi-dry cider and half barrel kegs. That was it. And we had people that, because it was cloudy, because it was sour, they would, we had people at the beginning, quite frankly, like, People sent it back sometimes because well, they in, in, until they tried it. Well, because until. they they didn't know they didn't really understand like that a cider could be unfiltered, a cider yeah. could mm -hmm. be tart or sour or acidic or anything like that. Flash forward to now, like 
our dry is our biggest seller and it's tart and acidic and you know it's not filtered and people are like I love dry ciders and we're like where were you in 2014 but yeah. I, I think the I think people just had to try it though because even back then they just had a misconception maybe they had only had one cider before not knowing that there's a wide range but once I got people to try it they were a convert yeah and when I so when it's I, just taken a long time to get there when I met you at that street festival it, the, it was poured in like a, just like a clear plastic cup yeah. and it was <laughs> hazy but I mean it's like I didn't I didn't know any better or think to care because I don't know. And that was yeah. going to be for like the popularity and, and of the of, haze craze. Yeah, yeah, the hazy IPAs and things like that. But it's, I would see people walk by me and say things like, oh, I'm, I'm not a cider person. And I was like, you. And I would just go. And I told them, I'm like, this doesn't have to be your new favorite thing. I just have to, you have to know that it can be different. Yeah. And then there were so many people that would say things like, oh, it's actually really good. I'm like, well, what were you expecting? Of course it's good. Yeah. So it's a decade later, people have really come over to the you know less sweet side. There's a variety of reasons for that, I think. There were a number of people at the beginning who said, oh, you know, you're probably going to have to make it sweeter for more people to like it, but we refused, and are, I'm very proud that we didn't cater to that. We just stuck to our vision, and it's been successful. Yeah, and do you... Um, and there's other cider, cider makers around nationally that have tap handles also. But do you find that places are willing to have like two tap handles of cider versus just being like, okay, we already have our cider. Like now, we don't. Yeah. That's what, has that kind of grown? Yeah, yeah. I would say that when I first started going door to door 10 years ago, maybe they would have a cider in package, but it was rare in Chicago bars to see a draft line dedicated to cider. Yeah. And then now you see entire gluten-free menus that include cider or one or two ciders on draft in addition to rotating seasonals in package. Mm -hmm. So it's been very exciting to see that change. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't claim that it's all because of us, but I'll, yeah. I'll take credit for some of it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and for like the education part of it, trying to teach people that cider yeah. can be multiple different things. Do you approach that mainly like through your Instagram or what's that? The best success I've had is basically following people around at tastings and events and giving them small samples. That's the yeah, only way. The face you to can't, face. There's no description on Instagram or picture of something. You just you have to try it. Yeah. And you have to um, be open to something that maybe you've already decided. You, maybe you wrote off the category already. Yeah. But people in Chicago and the greater Chicagoland area are so great. Everyone's been so adventurous and all these people I think have been kind of craving something different and craving something new yeah and it's been exciting to be a part of that I can really I can appreciate that because that's sort of like when I have somebody tell me oh I don't like beer it's like my mission I'm like I can find a beer you like so I can like, I can appreciate so many different yeah. kinds yeah it's like saying you know I would explain it to people it's like what if you and I'm not knocking Guinness I love Guinness but what yeah. if you had only had Guinness and you and maybe that wasn't your favorite and you just wrote off beer there's so many different kinds yeah and it's it's very similar to people just don't think the cider's the same they just say oh yeah. i'll have the cider and we'd be like well which which one yeah what, what kind they just haven't had like they've been exposed to it or like had their yeah. mind like open to it's it's a lot different i yeah. would say it's 
night and day different from 10 years ago. I think it's changed a lot. That's great. And yeah, it's I, great I'm still working really hard on the education aspect and I'm still following people around at Binnie's and getting them <laughs> to try things. But I think that um, it, it definitely has changed. Yeah, good. Um, I wanted to jump in into like some of the ingredients and like brewing process. Yeah, I guys. think Charlie can take that over because I'm having so much fun here. I'm going to forget to pick up my daughter from preschool. You're good. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hand the production over to Charlie. Uh, Sounds good. Everybody follow us on Instagram at Ripey Cider. Come to our tap room. Love you. Bye. <laughs> so um, with the, uh, the ingredients and everything you use, obviously the base is apples. Where, where, where do you get your apples from? We get our apples from southwest Michigan. So we work with a small mill in southwest Michigan, and they source all the apples from about a 90-mile radius from where they crush and press the apples. And so it comes to you already pre-crushed? It's just like in like a tanker? Tanker truck, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we block off a section of Costner Avenue somewhat illegally, yeah. and... <laughs> You know, it's debatable. Um, basically, we put up some no parking signs and some cones and um, hope that no one parks there. Yeah. We literally come in in the morning sometimes where people stack up the cones, kick them on to the sidewalk, and um, just park where we didn't want them to park. And we, we've had the tinker have to actually back up down the sidewalk to deliver juice to us before. And how often do you have those drop-offs? Uh, right now it's about once a month. Nice. Give or take. <clears throat> and is it very like, so I was trying to think like a lot of like brewing, a lot of the ingredients, they're shelf stable for like a certain period of time, but like the apple juice, is that something that you like to get like pressed and then within like 24 hours or 48 hours, whatever, it's like here in, in your possession? Yeah, we we do get it. It um, we get it within about twenty. It like I would say within twelve hours of it being pressed, it gets here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that it's 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 been a learning experience. I mean, we to kind of go down. Uh, so I started in brewing, obviously. Yeah. And. Um, when you get beer, you have like wort, and it has all this, you know, vitamin, all these vitamins and minerals, and everything that would lead lead to a healthy fermentation. But with cider, I found it to be very frustrating and demoralizing. I would say um, it lacks all of that. It is just a simple sugar, yeah. and so you can do the same thing every single time. But based on when you get those apples or get that juice the different time of year the um, amount of nitrogen in the apples and the different um, components of it change and it's not like a malted grain that's yeah. consistent year round um, so it it was very frustrating I was doing the same thing every single time and getting different results and so it has really taken us I mean, we're still innovating here. We're still doing different testing. We're still trying new things. And it's taken us the better part of a decade to really dial this in. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think it's hard when you want to have like a, um, an appeal to a large amount of people, like consistency can be key with some of that stuff. And so 
I can imagine. Right. And early on, we could pass that off to an agricultural change, you know. But yeah. after a while, as you establish yourself as a brand, people ex- come to expect a certain product and a certain level of consistency and luckily now we're able to provide that but early on it was it was definitely a challenge and um your yeast do you get that from a local no uh the yeast is well i i mean the yeast is from a we work with a wine like a wine wine. supplier okay um out of california and we get it it's a pretty uh, I would say boilerplate like champagne style yeast that we use. Is um, that is that something that you have to get fresh often? Because I know like sometimes in brewing you can like crop the yeast. No, yeah, we can't propagate yeast with cider making. Every time we have to rehydrate and um, and start a new yeast culture, which okay. is another expense that you may well not expense, face. but also like learning like learning how to do that and not just do it, but do it properly um was a, a big challenge for sure and then for the adjuncts that you have in like the clementine and uh this muzzle of bees has the elderflower uh when or how do you how are you adding those adjuncts like the fruit additions and so all that we we work with a local ingredient supplier basically like a, a glorified tea ingredient supplier so everything we we don't add extracts to our cider we add whole like for our blossom for instance it's lemon myrtle cherry blossom we have bags of leaves that show up to the cidery and we have uh, a small you can call it a brink or a hop back or an infuser and it's about 50 gallons and we have a filter housing in there we dump all the, well, we sanitize it and purge it with CO2, obviously. Yeah. We dump all the ingredients in there and we fill it with cider and then we recirculate that through the tank for about three to four hours to, to get that, those ingredients infused into our, our cider. Yeah. And it is admirable that you're not using the extracts or anything also. Thank you. Yeah. We, you know, you just met Katie. She has a, a big commitment to her health i mean she runs an alcohol business and um but otherwise like yeah. we we do our best to take care of ourselves and like to eat and consume and drink things where we can read the ingredients and we know what we're consuming so yeah. for um, sure and to that i mean to that point we also you know when we back sweeten our cider the majority of what we use to back sweeten is um, honey from our rooftop beehives. We have 16? 15? 15 beehives on the roof of our loading docks right now, managed by the hive supply. Yeah. And um, you'll be hearing from Naaman the following week on that. Um, so the honey, you're adding all of this, and all the adjuncts and everything is like post fermentation. Yes. Yeah. On the Every, cold side. Yeah. yeah. Everything is back sweetened so everything right. starts out as our dry cider then we infuse ingredients as necessary or if it's our dry cider we just carbonate it and package it um, but everything is is back sweetened with with honey or yeah and has there, has there been like good um, 
crossover from the brewing industry or your brewing experience. Like I, I read that you did Brett in one of your beers. We, yeah, so we do some barrel aging. Yeah. And so we've used Britannomyces uh, in some of the barrel aged stuff. And Dave actually had one instance where he, uh, he had two, we had two champagne, or I'm sorry, two white wine barrels. And in one, he introduced Britannomyces, and in the other one was traditional. We blended them together, and we, we like to do some experimental things from time to time. But those are things that we don't necessarily distribute. We usually just sell those in bottles in our tap room or on draft at our tap room. Yeah, and um, I guess, like, you have a set uh, year-round, and then you get to do some fun little things here and there. Like, where do you find like the inspiration or like how do you your curiosity you have in things like to to find new adjuncts or new anything is that something you just come across naturally i mean i i'll be completely honest with you i lately have been so bogged down in business aspect and just the pure operations of it that what we do is we we have employees and 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 people here that are just dying to to try new things and push you know push the envelope and and we we just let them do it i mean chris right now you just met him he's back there he's working on something that he's co-fermenting cider and merlot oh. um, grape juice and using a different yeast strain and doing it on a small scale. We're yeah. barrel aging, we're creating new relationships with different distilleries. We just met the guys at Judson and Moore, which is uh, adjacent to the old Metropolitan facility. Yeah. We've developed an awesome relationship with the guys down at Thornton Distilling, down in Thornton, Illinois. And we, they give us barrels and we, we try to do things. And basically it's just saying yes, like if, if one of our employees says, I want to try this, you just say, yeah, sure. What do you need? Yeah. And that's kind of where the creativity comes from these days. That's cool. Uh, do you primarily use like a bourbon or whiskey barrels or have you like done wine barrels? Yeah, we have, we have done wine barrels. <coughs> we, we got, um, wine barrels from a third party, like barrel distributor once upon a time, but primarily we get now we get just uh, barrels from local distil- distilleries and um lately it's been bourbon yeah we're not married to anything but lately yeah. it's been i think that that's like a, a natural pairing like that it almost gives it like a caramel apple note i'd say because you get some of those like vanilla tin and like vanillins from the barrel and that. yeah yeah one time we got some bourbon barrel aged gin barrels huh and that was really unique because you had the botanicals from the gin and it, it meshed really well with the cider. Yeah. And um, we were talking earlier about how the, the cider was very cloudy before. You guys have gotten it pretty dialed down from like what it was before. Is that something that you've just kind of like worked out over time or have you found like new ways to, to try and do that or has it just happened naturally now? We, yeah, I mean, we... So we started using bentonite clay. So it's basically just a, like, we, it's, it's a, it's, 
clay that you put into the tanks and it binds to the the elements of the cider that make it cloudy and then because it's so heavy it drops, drops out, down huh? to the bottom and then we can get rid of that and so we don't filter our cider yeah. we don't use like crossflow filter or a centrifuge or anything like that but we do have ways of at least making it consistent now. Yeah. and um for your for collaborations in cider like i was just curious because i know like in brewing there's collaborations released all the time has there is there like a collaboration culture within cider or has most of your been most of your collaborations been with breweries or distilleries or I would band? love I would love to do a cider collaboration and I've talked to um, Michelle over at Eris as well yeah. about doing something together and um, uh, Ambrosia at Northman and there is there's an interest in doing something together um, you know a rising tide lifts all ships and I think that's especially true in the cider industry I think um, it's such a small community that we we do need to do something together, and we will. It's I think there's everybody's so busy all the time yeah. that it's, it's hard. But all of our collaborations in the past have been with breweries, so we're in the process of working with Alarmist Brewing Company in Sauganash, in in Chicago. Yeah, and um, we're we're gonna do a beer with them, and. In the past, we've done beers with Pipeworks Brewing Company. We've also worked with Old Irving Brewing Company on Montrose. And so all of our collaborations in the past have been with um, breweries. And then uh, in addition, obviously the barrels, Thornton Distilling and Judson and Moore. So there's some crossover there as well. But um, so far that's as far as we come in. and obviously yeah I was going to say with it being like a beverage and music podcast yes, and <laughs> yeah and the the muzzled bees obviously um, was a, a it is Wilco approved so you know we use honey from the hive supply originally it was used to pay Naaman from the hive supply for his um, his services um, managing our hives and um yeah, um, Wilco lent us one of their designers, and they designed the label, and we made the cider. And um, luckily, now we're in a position to actually just pay Naaman for the the honey that he provides, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to being like some nebulous like we'll give you X percentage of T-shirt and muzzle sales and maybe it'll work out you don't like algebra here yeah <laughs> algebra is difficult and uh how did that relationship with Wilco like how did you get a hold of them or uh I was sitting at the bar and it was late on a Sunday and there was nobody in our tap room because late on a Sunday in 2019 that didn't happen yeah and I just decided to fire an off an email to their contact us and never expected to hear anything back. I was like, I had this, you know, like I, I had this like moment of epiphany and I was like, Oh, we're going to use our honey and we're going to use it to pay the hive supply for their services. And like, we'll get Wilco, the Muzzle Bees song came on, and I was like, oh, we'll use Muzzle Bees. It'll be the name of the cider. It's going to be awesome, man. And then I sent this email off, 
never expecting to hear back from Wilco. But you had a whole like sales pitch in there that you were. I was, oh yeah, I was like yeah. committed to it. And then two days later, they got back to me. They're like, not only can you use the name of our song, because I just asked permission, not only can you use the name of our song, but we're going to, here's a designer that will design a label for you. And I was like, cool, man. Yeah, and it's a, a very cool label. Thanks. Yeah, it's kind of like concert poster yeah. feel to it. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Wilco, Chicago-based band for those who aren't familiar. Um, so uh, how so how have things been going since your original business plan? Has everything kind of been going to plan? Or I mean, obviously you had a pivot pandemic. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you should have seen my original business plan. It was awesome. <laughs> I was going to make so much money. Um, no, it it's been good though. I obviously with the pandemic things we've really I know a lot of people say this and it almost sounds cliche but like we felt like we were turning a corner in 2019 yeah and like two, 2020 was gonna be our year man like yeah. it was gonna be awesome and it didn't happen because right. the world shut down and it was it was a struggle but we I wouldn't say like People say, oh, I pivoted my business. I changed. We did get the opportunity to add online ordering and it did a lot more uh, virtually and a lot of people picking up cider and it was great for a while, but it dragged on for two years. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until spring of 22 where the city of Chicago decided to lift all the restrictions, all COVID restrictions. So it's two years where we were kind of wondering what was going on. We were bottling when, it, when the pandemic first happened, we shifted to cans. Um, a lot of our customers, like people don't realize that we have a tap room and customers are people, yeah. but customers are also bars and restaurants. Yeah. And our customers, bars and restaurants, were going out of business too, and they weren't having people in. So we, we lost like, I mean, our keg sales were 60% of our business. At the end of 2020, keg sales were 0.01% of our business. Yeah. We lost 60% of our business overnight. And we, it took us, it we're still, it's still not back to normal. Yeah. Um, but we're this year, this past year, I'm sorry, 2023, we, we turned a healthy profit and we're back on back on track. But it was, I was, I yeah, was beginning to up. wonder yeah. what I was doing, honestly, yeah. or why I was doing it, because yeah. it was hard. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that you guys were able to push through. Uh, but with that uptick in your guys' own business and maybe anecdotally, I was curious. There's, there's sort of this like doom and gloom feel around the craft beer industry right now with a lot of closures. I was just curious what the, the cider landscape like. What's the outlook? On sure. that. Yeah, I get that. I get that sense too. But with brewing, yeah, with cider, I'm, I, I feel very confident. I think there's a lot of positives with not only like customer education, like we talked about earlier, and people becoming more aware of our product and what it is, and you know why it is what it is, and all that stuff. But also, we are fortunate to be kind of riding on the coattails of the better for you 
movement yeah. and you know obviously seltzers i hate to lump us in with seltzers but it's true like people kind of consider us seltzer adjacent so yeah. you know we're low we're gluten-free we're low sugar low carb all that stuff and and it's it's kind of working right now so yeah. i'm i'm optimistic but i'm always optimistic even you know when the world shuts down and yeah you know throws a egg in your face yeah you gotta I'm find like, like the silver linings and all yeah, that stuff i'm not gonna quit i'm yeah. i'm never going to just it would take a trip it would take a honestly like a, it, you'd have to kill me like I, <laughs> I i'm not going to stop i'm going to keep working and until this is successful so so we've been we just talked about all of the the constraints with all the the pandemic and all that but if you didn't have to worry about financial constraints or the consumer like what would be your ultimate goal for right beside her like for the business yeah not for me well i mean it could be for you too i mean i just yeah i mean if if you're lifting financial restrictions i mean <laughs> well i mean yeah i didn't know like if you would be like yeah i'd love to have a larger tap room where we could have like some kind of like venue where we can have people come in or if you're like hey i wish we would you know maybe we have like satellite tap rooms around the country or something i don't know just yeah i don't know i i think for me it, it, it's this is a complicated question only because uh, yeah. like i want our business to be i want everybody to know about it i think it's a great brand i think it's a great product i think it it just feel like we hit the nail on the head with what we're doing for me like I would love to have a little more time to spend with my wife and my kids right um but for the for the business I would like for you know I'd like for it to be picked up by distributors nationwide and I'd like to you know if it means selling a portion of the business so that it can see its true potential that would be fine with me too. I just, I just feel like we have something that is unique and special and I, I want more people to know about it. To know about it. Yeah. That's perfect. So, um, what does 2024 hold for you guys then? Like what, what are the, what's on the horizon? We have financial goals for the business. Business, obviously we want to hit a certain level of financial goals. Um, that will open up, you know, financing for the business it's pretty boring stuff like we wouldn't need to buy more equipment i'd love to hire another production person and then um just kind of like buttoning up our chain presence so that um we have a more scalable business nice. like because as soon as you as soon as you develop those relationships with the albertsons and the targets and the whatever it it helps your business grow because if I were to go to, you know, say Columbus, Ohio or something like that and say, I have this brand and you're like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. But like you have no footwork here. Yeah. Like we'll take your brand into this distributor, but it's not going to go anywhere. But if you say I have this brand and I also have relationships with target and Kroger and all this stuff, they can say, Oh, well we'll take it in and you know, kick it to the at same. least, at least we'll be able to, you know, push it to them. So yeah. scaling, scaling the business, I think is the ultimate goal. Nice. And then, um, just like more, 
more micro uh the tap room you guys have events and everything you were just telling me you guys had like a ping pong night last night yeah 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 thursday nights are berlin style ping pong it's like um musical chairs for ping pong so oh. everybody gets a paddle stand around the table and you go around and um if you mess up you're out so you oh. just kind of start a volley if you mess up you're out um we do trivia here sometimes, and um, yeah, just watch the Instagram for that. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because it's a also a music based podcast, you are a piano player. <laughs> Who told you that? <laughs> I you said it on a podcast many years ago. Oh yeah. But I just I was just curious. You don't have to go into detail on this, but like, is it more like a classical music or jazz pianist or? Yeah, it's funny. Like I grew up playing classical music. And I took piano lessons from when I was in kindergarten until I was a senior in high school. So I'm a classically trained pianist. I learned everything from, you know, like my, the pinnacle of my piano playing career was uh, Rachmaninoff's um, Prelude in C sharp minor. I also learned a lot of Scott Joplin and like playing ragtime a lot. Um, So I was, as far as like, technically trained like as, you could do it all as, yeah. yeah I could do it all um, the funny part was that when I tried to translate that into rock and roll because that's what the chicks dig yeah didn't really work yeah. like I was too regi- like I I couldn't I could I could learn any song but I couldn't actually do the like little Richard like, thing yeah I couldn't yeah. like <laughs> improvise you know I was never good at impro- improvisation but um, I did pick up the bass guitar um, at the end of my junior high career into high school and played in a, um, as far as, you know, the North Shore of Chicago goes, relatively <laughs> successful high school band. Nice. Yeah. I'll play you some licks sometime. Yeah. You'll Sounds love it. good. Yeah. There's a, I'm like really big into the UK jazz scene and there's a pianist, Alpha Mist, who's there. That, that's like, it's sort of like blending like jazz and hip hop. So that's kind of taken off a little bit over there but I, I love I love that and of course like Thelonious Monk and stuff I, I mean I think piano I'm my son is taking piano lessons now he's five and he's already he's learning songs now that I was learning when I was like 10 years old wow and I just think if you learn how to play piano you can play any instrument uh-huh. and I I mean I would if anyone's listening to this and wants to argue with me on this point I will die on this hill. Yeah. If you can play piano, you can play any instrument. So most people say, don't at me, but he's saying, at me. Yeah, come at me. <laughs> you come to the cidery, <laughs> find me, and let's have a really good discussion. Uh, good discussion. Ugh. Civil discussion. All right, so uh, just to wrap things up, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find us here at right B cider on Costner Avenue in Hermosa. Um, it's just west of Logan Square. It's a nice little, nice little neighborhood down the street from the Menards. So if you got, you know, if you have any household needs, come by. Yeah. Um, save big money and spend it. Yeah, save, save big money and spend it at right B cider. <laughs> we also are distributed through a network throughout Chicagoland and the state of Illinois. You can find us at um, Trader Joe's, Jewel, Binnie's, Whole Foods, all the good good places. And if you don't find it there, or if you have a place that you'd like to go to, a small little lo- local 
liquor store, just ask for it, and they can order it through their friendly neighborhood Miller distributor. Miller right. distributed through the Miller cluster. And the uh, Instagram handle is right B Cider. That's all you, you got to... Yeah, at right B Cider. Yeah. Um, anything else you'd like to add before we get on to the outro questions? I... I I feel like I've just been talking for a no, lot. It's been so great. I, yeah. I love, I love your, your like how genuine you are and like passionate about what you're doing. Thank so. you. I, 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 thank you. Yeah. And I appreciate you, uh, letting me come in. Um, all right. So five outro questions. Okay. Favorite beverage doesn't have to be alcoholic or anything. Ooh. Um, iced coffee. Iced coffee. Just black cream. Yeah. No, I'm a sicko. Just black. No, just I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm like a, Iced Americano when it's warm out? I just, well, I, no. Dead of winter. It was <laughs> negative 12 degrees last week. Iced coffee. Nice. Uh, number two, a song everyone should listen to. And I'm building a Spotify playlist where I'm adding everyone's entry on this. And it can be favorite song, just a song you think people should hear. Whatever. I'm going to just pull my... from. I'm just going to pull from my recent memory, Thin Ice by Man. All right. Thin Ice, Cobra Man. I don't know that one, so I'll have to check that one out for sure. Number three. <laughs> yeah. Favorite concert you've been to? Uh, this is cliche. I've been to a lot of a lot of shows. Paul McCartney at Lollapalooza. I think it was circa 2014. What was so special about it, you guys? Just I don't know. Just because it was he Paul was McCartney in the Beatles, and he yeah. played like "Let It Be," and I started crying, and I didn't. No, I didn't start crying. <laughs> you started crying. Um, it was raining. It was raining out on my face. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, that's perfect. Um, uh, favorite place you've had a drink? Ooh, it has to be a dive bar in Chicago. Yeah, perfect. Um, Let's, well, okay, last night I was at Four Moon Tavern. Huh. There we go. It was their 25th anniversary. Special place in my heart. Love that place. But anything like Four Moon Tavern would be good. Of that ilk. Yeah. All right, and then number five, finally, what's your guilty pleasure for music? I don't want to... Do I have to say it? <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift? Hey. Oh, no, actually, you know what? I'm going to go Robin. Robin? Robin. Okay. Yeah. Robin, Call Your Girlfriend, or Dancing on My Own. Yeah. Robin. I'm going to go Robin. Perfect. Yeah. Let me, my wife is a Swifty, so I wasn't going to hate on you if you stuck with that. It, it's, it's just so, it's so accessible now. Like, yeah. every, it's just in your face. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. But Robin. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, Charlie, thank you again. Uh, Katie left, but thank you, Katie. And thank you for welcoming me in. And, uh, and everybody, until next week, try some new beer or cider and listen to some new music. Cheers. Cheers.